Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the, for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., joining us from Houston this evening, which is like even farther on the other side of the internet than you normally are. Uh, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, I flew in today, uh, so day after the Timbers, so I'm just kind of getting my bearings here in Houston, but excited to be here. I mean, it's playoff time. This is, I think, for both fans and also for journalists covering uh, the sport, this is the time of year that I think we all get excited about. So um, pretty excited that we're going to be talking about playoff soccer um, yeah. today. Yes, playoff soccer for the second of two, uh, two first-team uh, teams here in, in, in Portland. The Thorns, of course, remain mm-hmm. champions uh, <laughs> as their playoffs uh, finished in the most satisfying way imaginable. Uh, the Timbers have a lot of work to do if they want to get uh, get to that uh, to that level, of course. Uh, but the Timbers recently wrapped up the regular season, and on the level, when you when you, when you talk about whether it, it, it was a successful one, you got to say first place in the West was not unsuccessful. Uh, they did that by beating the Vancouver Whitecaps two to one. Uh, goals from Liam Ridgewell and then Darren Maddox were, were ultimately enough to overcome the opener from Kendall Waston. Uh, our predictions, pretty, pretty good. I, I said it was going to be a 3-1 game with a late Fernando Adi deal sealer. I sort of predicted that Adi would come in for no real reason whatsoever, uh, other than having fun, and I was wrong. But otherwise, I mean, but for that, other, other, other than predicting that, I hit the nail on the head. Uh, you called that 2-1 win, so you did not predict the Adi late deal sealer. With the Darlington Nagby goal, you got the scoreline right. You did not get the side bet right. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, you're the closest uh, to the center of the Timbers universe right now, so that means you have to give out the points. All right. Um, I am going to give myself 21 points, and I'm going to give you 15 points. All right. No problem with that at all. That that seems very reasonable. Uh, So, you know, I mean, it, it really was sort of a game that, uh, that was a little bit cagey for a while. Uh, the, the Timbers certainly came out on the front foot and were the more active team uh, throughout the beginning stages of the game. But then, as happens from time to time, uh, especially for the Whitecaps, uh, the Whitecaps got the opener, and they got it by way of a, a set piece from Kendall Waston, uh, got free on a corner kick, and, and put one past Jeff Adanella. Um, that was certainly disappointing, but what happened thereafter was not disappointing in the slightest. Over the course of the next 20 minutes or so of the game, the Timbers just totally took over. Uh, how good was that stretch of play? The Timbers, of course, got the two goals out of it. To be perfectly honest, they had opportunities to get more. Uh, the The two goals out of that 20 minutes was was relatively flattering to the Whitecaps, who, in my view, just got absolutely hammered uh, over the course uh, 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 of that uh, 20 minutes. What did you say? Uh, what did you think about that stretch of play from the Timbers? Yeah, I thought that was one of the best stretches of play the Timbers have had this entire season. And I think that's a very good sign to see them be able to come together like that, especially on the attacking end at this point in the season heading to playoffs. I think Caleb Porter uh, spoke a little bit about it after the game. He'd like to see a 90-minute performance, the the team playing like that for the full 90 minutes because they showed what they were capable of. That uh, might not be realistic for teams to play their best soccer 100% of the time, there are going to be ups and downs in games, but I think it was really exciting to see those 20 minutes and the response to conceding the goal, which was obviously a disappointment to concede first on their home turf. I, I think that's also really important that the Timbers were able to bounce back from that and 
uh, respond by playing their best soccer rather than hang their heads and, and let it turn into something worse. Yeah, you know, and, and especially giving up a set-piece goal to Vancouver, there's no sort of dishonor in that, so to speak. That is what the Whitecaps do. That's what they play to do, uh, especially the way they were playing in which they weren't being terribly aggressive in getting out on the break against the Timbers. That was basically what their game was, was to try to draw set pieces, whether they're corner kicks or attacking free kicks, uh, and and get the ball into the box toward their, their big target men uh, on those set pieces. And, and and they got one, but you know what? I mean, the, the Whitecaps do get those. That's, that's how they score goals. That's why they're in the playoffs playing the Seattle Sounders uh, on my phone as I talk uh, here today. So, you know, I, 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 I wasn't, it, it was disappointing to, to see the Timbers give up that goal because, well, that's sort of the one thing that you would think that they would be really, really careful about not doing, giving up those sort of cheap set pieces uh, that they did, did give up a, a fair number of those, even uh, in an otherwise strong st- uh, stretch of play over the course of the first half hour, they did give those up. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, but to, to to give away that one is certainly not out of character for where you'd expect the Whitecaps to hurt you. I mean, heck, look at the next game. They're, they're not, <coughs> excuse me, knockout round game against San Jose. Each of their first three goals were off of set pieces uh, in what was probably the most dreadful 5-0 uh, game I've, I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so, you know, I, I that is sort of what the Whitecaps do. To give it up it was disappointing, but as you said, the bounce back there was fantastic. I, in thinking about it, I don't know if I can remember a more dominant sort of 15 or 20 minute stretch of play. You know, certainly I think you could probably go back to that second half against Houston earlier in the year uh, when the Timbers, uh, as we've discussed many times, were just really laid the lumber to the Dynamo in the second half after being down 2-1 going into halftime. I think you can look at that. I, I, I think if you probably dig back through the season, you can probably find some uh, that may be comparable, but... Frankly, I would be surprised if you could find anything that you would put head over heels over what the Timbers did to the Whitecaps uh, on either side of halftime. So uh, I thought that was a tremendous stretch. I, I thought it was very encouraging. Yeah, you know, as he said, Porter would like his team to play uh, that way for 90 minutes. And yeah, <laughs> and certainly he would like to see stretches like that. And then he needs to see stretches like that become more common. Uh, but look, you're, you're not going to play that way for 90 minutes. The, that was... Uh, a thoroughly a thorough domination of what was an otherwise pretty stout defensive team uh, and a team that, that was taking absolutely no risks defensively. Uh, and you're just not going to do that every day, every minute of every game. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, yeah, you get certainly Porter's point. Uh, you understand his point that he would like to see it more, but 90 minutes, eh, come on. Uh, yeah, so that, that was the game against the Whitecaps. I don't want to dwell on it too much because, frankly, we've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, but let's, uh, let's take a moment to sort of reflect on the Timbers taking the first seed in the West. Uh, this is, they, they did it by virtue of, of earning 53 points of the, over the course of the season. That is extremely low, uh, for a, a conference winner that tends to be, uh, usually in the mid to high fifties. Uh, but nonetheless, the Timbers sort of ran the race that was in front of them and they, and they came out on top in the Western conference. Do you think that is more reflective of the weakness of the West or do you think it's sort of an affirmation of, of what the Timbers have accomplished over the course of the season? I think it, it is reflective of, of the weakness of the West. I, I think, like you said, this type of point total would not normally get them to the top seed in the West. And I think the lull they kind of had in the summer, it should have been enough, um, if the conference was a little bit stronger, to, to 
hurt their chances a little bit. They they probably would still have been a playoff team in a better conference, but not necessarily the number one seed. That said, I, I think it, it is important to recognize the accomplishment uh, for the Timbers this year. I, I think they overcame a ton of injuries, as we saw throughout the year. And they managed to go from, obviously, in the beginning of the season, I, I think their attack was something that stood out. We saw that they finished first in the West in terms of goals scored, but they also became a more well-rounded team as the season went on and kind of put things together on defense, both um, just by being more consistent towards the end. And I th- think obviously with the change in personnel with Larry Smabiala coming in and-, and Liam Ridgewell finally getting back into the lineup. So I-, I think by the end of the season, you look at this team and, and now heading into playoffs, th- this looks like a really good team. And there's a reason why they were able to close out the year Um the final nine games or so, I think we talked a little bit about it, but after that game up in Vancouver where the Timbers were so depleted that no one expected them to stand a chance and they ended up getting that win in July, since then they have been a very good team. And that's why they were able to go from being right around the red line up to the top of the West. So even though the West is weaker, uh, that the Timbers would probably not have finished in this spot uh, in a different conference in a different year, I still think they should get credit for the way they kind of turn things around towards the end of the season and the form they have right now going into playoffs. I think they should get a ton of credit for it. Uh, and and that's why, you know, when people talk about the weakness of the West, I mean, yes, as, as you pointed out, it's undeniably true uh, that the West was the weaker of the two conferences this year, uh, that there is ordinarily at least one team, if not two, that will sort of break away from that pack and will take uh, the top spot or spots in, in the conference, and that 53 points won't get it done for that. Uh, and, and so, you know, I mean, that, that's all very fair to point out, um, but I don't take it to that next step of saying, therefore, that sort of delegitimizes the Timbers' accomplishment in some way. And, and, and I think the reason is, the, the adversity that you pointed out. I, the Timbers have had a really, really challenging season, uh, whether it's been international call-ups, which lots of teams have had to deal with, uh, whether it's been major uh, long-term injuries to significant players, whether you're talking about Liam Ridgewell, and he is a significant player, and if you don't believe me, watch that Vancouver game again, uh, or, or Fernando Adi. Uh, now, you know, I mean, you can go down the laundry list and look at the guys who missed games, and it, it's easy to sort of look at that MASH report and just say, look, I, no, I mean, you know, finishing with 53 points, regardless of where that puts them in the conference, whether it's first or third or fourth or whatever, is a pretty impressive season. Is a really impressive season uh, for 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 the for the Timbers uh, and and for the guys that came out and got to do it and got it done. Look, I, I think the the injury issues and, and that kind of stuff was at least on par with what the Timbers had last year, and they got it done this year. That's the difference. The Timbers' death got it done by and large. Uh, they scra- they scraped out enough points through the spring and summer, even though it was not pretty, even though they went through a stretch where they won only four of 18 games, they were able to stay in the race enough to just scratch and claw out enough points to stay in the race that when they got a little bit healthier, even notwithstanding the injury uh, to Fernando Adi, that they were able to just, to sort of, you know, win that sprint to the finish. And it wasn't for the Timbers. I, I say sprint sort of in the, in the uh, I, I guess in, in some way in the, the cycling sense uh, not necessarily to say that the Timbers' run to the finish was short, because it wasn't. Really, we're talking about a 13-game span in which the Timbers have been pretty on the money. I agree, going back to that uh, that game up in Vancouver. And, and when you look at a span like that, that's not a fluke. It, it's not just a matter of uh, of the Timbers got hot for a few weeks. Uh, I think that was maybe a more 
viable argument going into the playoffs in 2015 than it is this year. This has been a much more profound uh, sort of longstanding uh, improvement in form. Uh, and I think they deserve a ton of credit for fighting that uh, through that adversity to get to this point, to put themselves in position where they could uh, go on. Weakness of the conference notwithstanding, uh, or, or or aided even by the weakness in the conference, and, and still go and win it and secure the top speed. Uh, so that is uh, that is I, I think why I, I I say it's more reflective of an affirmation of the Timbers' accomplishments than it is more reflective of the weakness of the West. Even though I I, I think it is undisputed and and, and not reasonably disputable uh, that the West was in fact the weaker of the conferences, and that that helped the Timbers. Um, Whitecaps versus Sounders. Let's take just a few minutes to talk about this one. Uh, they have kicked off in Vancouver. They're in the first half right now in the 40th minute as we speak. Uh, so you all will maybe be laughing at us by the time you listen to this uh, about what we have to say. But wh- who do you have in the series? How do you think this one plays out? It is 0-0 in the 40th minute. Both teams playing some, I think, unpredicted uh, lineups hey, with, with some surprising inclusions uh, for for each team. What do you think is going to happen in this one? Who who comes out of it, and do you think it's a close series? I, I think Seattle's going to come out of this one, um, and and I I think yeah, uh, I, I think you tend to have in playoffs series that are going to be generally close. It just gets kind of tight in the playoff time, but I I, I feel I would put my money on Seattle on this one. I, I think the Whitecaps. Um, obviously had a lot of success during the year, uh, kind of worked their way up the standings, but I don't think they were the best team in the West in the end of the season. And I think there's a reason the Timbers were able to ultimately pull that out over them. I, I, I think that they have some weaknesses and I, I am more excited about the Seattle team in, in terms of the talent they have and the kind of run they could potentially make. I obviously it would be a, fun very fun conference championship series if the timbers and the sounders both both advanced uh, and we could get some more uh rivalry playoff games going on but yeah if i were to pick one my money is on seattle and my money is on seattle and it's for this reason look you know as as we were just talking about with with the white caps when teams are not sort of taking unreasonable risks which the the quakes were doing late in that in that knockout round game but when Whitecaps opponents aren't taking unreasonable risks, they have, over the course of the last few weeks, basically one way of scoring, and that's on set pieces. And, and, and the Sounders probably have about as much size, uh, whether you're talking about Will Bruin, uh, Clint Dempsey when he gets back from a suspension, uh, Chad Marshall, Ramon Torres. They've got about as much size to match up with guys like the, you know, with the Kendall Wastons of the world uh, and, and, and those guys uh, that, that Vancouver has. Uh, to sort of neutralize the, that set piece advantage that, that the Whitecaps hold over most teams. So, uh, you know, that is the biggest reason why, you know, even sort of otherwise form notwithstanding, if you just look at the matchup, I think this actually sets up pretty well for the Sounders. But I agree with you sort of on, on overall quality. And frankly, I'm I'm pretty dismissive uh, of the Whitecaps on overall quality, if you <laughs> haven't been able to infer that. Uh, that. That if you shut them down in, in their set pieces, can they find other ways to score goals? Certainly the first 42 minutes now uh, of this leg one in Vancouver uh, is not a promising indication that the Whitecaps can find other ways to score goals. Uh, and the Sounders will. The, the, the Sounders will just score uh, a, a few goals. And so it, it's a matter of whether the Whitecaps are, are going to be able to match that. And I'm, I'm very, very skeptical uh, that they're going to be able to sort of set piece their way to victory uh, in, in, in this series. 
Um, okay. Let's talk about the Timbers, which is what people mostly prefer us to talk about <laughs> rather than the Sounders and Whitecaps uh, on this show. Uh, they go down to the Dynamo, uh, to Houston, for their conference semifinal. It begins in the first leg Monday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. And let's start off with what I've now just renamed the Fernando Adi Memorial Injury Report. Um, so you, I, I think we have two entries on the, on the Fernando Adi Memorial Injury Report, including uh, its namesake, Fernando Adi. What do we know about Adi, his availability, and all of that for this game tomorrow? Yeah, uh, Caleb Porter has stopped giving updates on Adi. Um, so we, we do not have an update. We do know that as of Tuesday when practice was open, so I, w- I was there, he was not in training. He was uh, doing, I guess, I would say footwork type drills. Uh, so kind of cutting back and forth type drills with the trainer on the sideline and also sprinting. Um, but he, as of Tuesday, he wasn't in training. Porter had said he had been told that he'd be back in training later in the week, but we really don't know. And with practice not being open to the public and Porter offering no update uh, yesterday when I spoke with him, it's going to be another wait and see. So it's going to be another wait and see on Fernando Adi. You know, I mean, the, the Merit Paulson on Twitter uh, before the, the Whitecaps game uh, did suggest that he was going to be back for the playoffs, whether that meant for the first game of the playoffs or, 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 or somewhere further down the road, they will have at least two playoff games. Uh, I, I think is to be determined, but so that's about all we know. We'll see. Uh, the other guy that, that is, I think a little bit of a surprise on the injury report is David Guzman. Uh, it, it sounds like he is questionable for the game. Uh, what do we know both about that? And what do you think the corresponding move would be? Who would be coming into the 11, uh, for the Timbers at defensive midfield if Guzman is not able to go? Yeah. Uh, my understanding is he has a uh, sort of a sprained knee and, uh, that's something he picked up in the Vancouver game. He obviously finished that game. So I, I think that went a little unnoticed by all of us, but, um, what I was told today is that he's questionable because of that. And, and um, so I really don't know if he's going to be in the lineup. I, I think the obvious move for the Timbers would be to move Darlington Nagby, uh, into a defensive midfield role and, and bring on a spree. I think, I think that's the most likely thing that we're going to see from the Timbers. And what I think overall has been the move that Caleb Porter has gone to, uh, given that option throughout the season. That would be the wrong move. <laughs> I, uh, think it, go I still think it's going to happen, though. Uh, that, that, would, that would be the absolute wrong move. Um, the, it, look, I mean, the, the Dynamo are a team that thrives on getting into the open field. Uh, in, in fact, arguably, the Dynamo are not effective unless they can get into the open field. Uh, and so I, for me, this would be a very easy choice. It's Lawrence Olin, uh, in alongside Diego Char. You need to have, uh, that defensive structure there and you cannot sacrifice that in this first leg. Look, you can come out of this first leg with, with a one goal deficit. You can come out of this first leg, uh, and, and be close and still have a very, very good chance uh, of coming back to Providence Park and winning it where Houston isn't, has not been a good team on the road, has not been a good team at Providence Park. Uh, and I think if you were to move Nagby into defensive midfield, I think there are absolutely times. I think there are absolutely opponents uh, against which you can do this. I don't think the Dynamo uh, at Houston are, are one of those opponents. I think that would be absolutely the wrong move if Porter goes there. I don't disagree with you uh, in saying that he he at least very well might do that. I think he might do that. Uh, and I think that would be a moment in, in, in which... I, I think that would be a, a case in which Porter would be a little bit caught up too much in, in dogma, a little bit caught up too much in, in sort of trying to put his best 11 players on the field as opposed to putting together the team that most makes sense 
from the needs of the moment for the needs of the opponent. Uh, and so to me, it is, it, it is very easy. Lawrence Olam has been overall pretty solid when he's been asked to come in and play as sort of a sitting six. That's what he would do with Diego Chara pressing uh, a more in more of a two-way role as an eight. There's no, there's no means by which, by no means would this be sort of a, an overly negative move or, or, or a team that the, that the Timbers couldn't go out and score goals with. They absolutely can score goals with Lawrence Olin playing as a six. Uh, I think if they were to move Nagby there, it would make them way too open on the counter. Uh, they, they would uh, be risking much, much more imbalance. And I just don't think it, it would make much sense uh, in a game in which the Timbers are going to have to be organized, in a game in which the Timbers are going to have to be very, very careful, not just in dealing with those chances when Houston gets out on the break, but more importantly, limiting those opportunities for Houston to get out on the break. So uh, I am, uh, I, I think it would be, uh, and, and I'm maybe uh, a little bit strong on this. I think it would be absolutely the wrong move and it could be a potentially huge mistake uh, for Porter. If it comes back the, that Houston's able to hang an ugly one on the timbers in Houston, what do you think? Am I being too harsh on that? I I don't know that it's going to make that much of a difference to the point where I, I, I mean, we'll see, but I, I kind of doubt that we're going to be talking about if they make that move, suddenly Houston's going to be able to pull a, a route and the Timbers are going to be sunk. I, I, I think it could work either way. I get your point. Um, I just don't think I'd be quite as strong uh, as you are. I just think if this game gets opened up, it, that is the primary thing that the Timbers should, should be looking to avoid. Uh, of course, they want to win. Uh, you always want to win this game. They would be in an incredibly advantageous position, as we saw a couple of years ago, a few years ago now against Seattle, if they were to go win this first leg in Houston. But uh, more than anything, I, I, the, the Timbers cannot afford to, to come back to Providence Park with a multiple goal deficit. And I think if you put out a team that invites Houston to play on the break, that, that invites the Dynamo uh, to sit back let the Timbers have a good bit, bit of the ball and, and to get out uh, into the open field, you are really, really playing with fire. And so we'll see. We'll see what the uh, how, how that ultimately works out if Guzman is not able to go. I think that would be a potentially very, very big uh, absence if, if Guzman goes from questionable to being not in the, in the lineup for the Timbers. Uh, the Sounders, as I noted, are playing as we speak. They just went to halftime uh, after MLS awarded them the de facto one seed in the Western Conference. They did that by allowing the Sounders to take the first uh, of the first legs. The, 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 that's why they're playing tonight on the 29, 29th rather than the 30th or the 31st. In a move driven largely by the, the schedule of the Seattle Seahawks and potential conflicts with the second leg in that series. How big of a deal is it? Do you think that the Timbers opponent, as a result, gets an extra day of rest? The Timbers, I, I think everybody would agree, if you sort of went and the top seed selects the first date or the, the date first on which they uh, they they play their their first leg, uh, if you went in that order, they would be playing today. Uh, how big of a deal is it that, that the Dynamo get an extra day? I, I I think that how it's turned out. It is not quite as big of a deal just because the Dynamo are going to be playing on short rest. They went into extra time and both Vancouver and the Dynamo are essentially playing on the same amount of rest going into those two games. Um, that said, I, I think that's just kind of how those games worked out where it, it's the Timbers are still going to get a little bit of advantage with potentially a, a weakened and, and tired Dynamo team. But that said, yeah, the number one sheet should get an advantage. And it's, it's absolutely ridiculous if you're working, if you're spending 34 games to try to determine the number one seed and there's supposed to be an advantage for that, that we're prioritizing something like football 
going on in another stadium. I, I know it made scheduling tough, but there has to be real advantages and advantages that are laid out and known ahead of time for the number one seed in any conference. And you see that in all other sports, you know, that the teams are going to get home field advantage for this and that. And when you have a two leg series where each team's going to get, be at home once, as opposed to other sports where you get five, seven game series that you lose that advantage of having necessarily much of a home field advantage, unless the game goes into extra time in the second leg. And so I think these other things like getting to play a team on short rest when when they're playing on short rest are important advantages to to make teams actually want to gun for that number one position. So uh, I, I think it is unfair how it's turned out. I, I think that the Timbers will still benefit because the Dynamo game went into extra time and that they are dealing with some injuries and uh, will be dealing with somewhat short rest as opposed to had the game been played tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, which is what we originally thought was going to happen. But I, I think it's completely unfair that Seattle's gotten kind of the first crack at the schedule, uh, even though they finished second. Yeah, look, if you look around at all the cookies that a team gets for for finishing in one of those top spots, for finishing in the top seed, uh, the, the biggest one by far uh, is that they get to face an opponent coming in on short rest. If the Timbers had been playing today, they would have been going up against a Dynamo team that had two days rest after playing 120 minutes uh, or, or, uh, on, on Thursday. That would have been a, a big advantage. And you would have said, hey, look, the Timbers earned that because they were, they were the top seed, right? And so that's, I mean, to the victor go the spoils. Uh, if, if the Sounders wanted to, to have their pick of the litter as far as dates, you know what they should have done? They should have won another game uh, in, in the regular season. Uh, they, they they should have been the, the number one seed if they wanted to have the pick of the litter on on on, on which date uh, they were going to play the the first leg of, of their uh, of their uh, playoff series. And there are other ways the the league could have reorganized this rather than essentially just anointing table be darned. We're just going to anoint the Sounders the top seed in the West because of something with the Seahawks. Uh, there are other ways the the league could have gone about it to sort of mitigate uh, the, the the scheduling conflict with the with the Seahawks. But at the end of the day, you know whose problem uh, is not you know who, whose problem it isn't that the Seahawks have a game at home uh, on, on on November fifth. It's not the Timbers' problem, uh, and so I don't understand why MLS has decided to punish the Timbers to take something away from the Timbers that they earned because the Sounders don't control their stadium. That that makes no sense to me. And look, I mean, it, it is uh, sort of a, a dirty little non-secret that this is all driven by maximizing TV. Uh, and it's all driven by maximizing by by getting as many MLS games out of the way of, of as many big, you know, big NFL games or big NFL weekends as possible. Uh, and, and that's why the, this, you know, the schedule has been sort of laid out this way. And in and, and doing that, uh, I think MLS is is. In very clearly implicitly prioritizing sort of the entertainment value of the playoffs rather than the competitive integrity of the playoffs. And so uh, this is a, a, a huge example where MLS essentially just took away the the best thing that the Timbers got for winning the conference because they don't get a CONCACAF Champions League berth this year, uh, as we've discussed on the show earlier. Uh, taking away the, the best thing the Timbers got for, for winning the conference, giving it to Seattle, and, and doing that only because Seattle is a secondary tenant in, the, in their stadium. I, I, it, to me, it doesn't strike any sort of, uh, any sort of logic. It doesn't make any, any sort of sense other than when you just sort of acknowledge that 
MLS is just doing it to, to grab as much money and they're willing to sacrifice competitiveness uh, in order to do that. So that's where we are. Uh, one thing, a quick note to, to drop in advance of the Dynamo game, uh, Felipe Senderos, uh, Ricardo Clark, uh, Machado, Kyoto, and Elise are all on yellow cards uh, heading into the first leg. That is as a result of yellow cards in the knockout round. Remember, in the playoffs, if, if you get two yellow cards before essentially the second leg of the conference final, uh, you are suspended for the following game, which is a, a fancy way of saying uh, you, you will, if you pick up that second yellow card in the second leg in the conference final, you won't be suspended for MLS Cup. But otherwise, if you get two yellow cards in the playoffs, you do get a yellow card accumulation play, uh, accumulation suspension. I've always thought that number was too low. Uh, I don't think it's any fun, uh, and, and I think it ends up suspending guys that are not necessarily playing in sort of any dangerous way. Essentially, you're asking players to go three or four games without getting two yellow cards. I don't think it matches up with sort of the, the way we ordinarily treat yellow cards, and I don't want players getting cheaply suspended in the playoffs. I would rather see teams playing, in, in, unless there's something, you know, I mean, a, a red card or, you know, a guy gets, uh, gets three yellow cards or something like that. Uh, and, and really has been a repeat offender. Uh, I want to see teams at, at full strength. And so I don't think the rule makes a bunch of sense, but if any of those guys get a yellow in the first leg, the Timbers will benefit from it uh, because they'll be suspended for the second. Question from John. Uh, and this gets to, I, I think, gets back to the, the issue that we were, we were sort of talking more or less about in, in the Guzman issue, uh, is what should the Timbers approach in this first leg be? Should they try to dictate the game and go for the win? Or should they focus on keeping a clean sheet and getting the series back to Portland? Jamie? I, I think that they are going to change their game plan substantially from what they would normally do on a road game. I, I think they will try to be a slightly more conservative than they'd be at home, but overall still try to play for the win and, and try to use their attack. Um, it, it's their strength. And so I think they will try to score goals and try to play for the win and dictate the game how they can while being a little bit more conservative than they would normally be at home. I, I think the Timbers finished first in the West and goal scored. I think the attack is a massive strength and it's a good defense to be able to keep the ball and create chances in the attack. I don't think the Timbers are the type of team that generally um, their game plan is to sit back and just park the bus and, and hope that they can play for a tie. I, I don't think that's what they've done overall this season, and I don't see that changing in this leg, even though the Timbers know that a draw would be a good enough result he heading back to Providence Park. So I expect um, there to be a slight, just really just what the Timbers normally do on a road game, slightly more conservative than they would be at home, but still trying to play for the win. And I think they're obviously the biggest thing for them is going to be very mindful of the counterattack and doing what they can to avoid giving Houston too many opportunities on the counter. Yeah. I, I think this is a spectrum uh, between sort of these two things. I don't think it's a matter of uh, one or the other. And, you know, I would lean a little bit on the half of the spectrum leaning toward, uh, toward, toward keeping the clean sheet. And I, and I think the, the way you put it is a good way to put it. Uh, I, I, that's basically, it sounded like what I, what I heard from you. This is not the 2015 Timbers. They're not sort of experts at, you know, they, it's not like they bunkered and countered, but they, but, but they kept their lines pretty compact. Uh, they, they weren't full on sort of Vancouver Whitecaps or Dominic Kinnear or, or, or Colorado Rapids countering, uh, bunkering and countering, but uh, they were a team that was best on the counter and could absorb some pressure. That, as Porter pointed out post game last week, that's not really this team. That's not where this team is most successful, but 
that doesn't mean that they can't or shouldn't nonetheless be careful uh, about snuffing out and preventing those chances for for the Dynamos to get on on the break. And so, you know, if it if it is a relatively low scoring game, uh, that suits the Timbers just fine. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be the kind of game where the Timbers are going to are going to, you know, give up 70 percent of the ball or 65 percent of the ball uh, to the Dynamo or, or, or anything as extreme as that. And I don't think it should be because that's not what this team does. But if the possession split is relatively even, and Houston is a team that has absolutely no scruples uh, about giving up 55 or 60% of the ball to, the, to their opponent, even at BBVA Compass Stadium, uh, you know, if it is relatively even, uh, if the Timbers are not launching a bunch of numbers into the attack or not necessarily bombing fullbacks, uh, you know, with impunity, are not necessarily sending their eight uh, into the attack all the time and are, and are sort of choosing their spots in which they do those things. Uh, I, I think that's about the the right approach, uh, but they've got to be smart about about choosing those spots in which in which to do that. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I I sort of lean on the conserv- more conservative side uh, of the spectrum. I think that is a pretty tried and true uh, method in in two leg series, uh, and I do worry that the Timbers are going to be a little bit too aggressive. Uh, and and are going to play this first leg like essentially like it's a it's a home game, uh, and and a, you know for that I just sort of reference the discussion about uh, Guzman and his potential uh, his his potential replacement uh, above. So we'll see uh, if the Timbers go a little bit more conservative in this one. Do you think it would change who Caleb Porter starts as fullback? Uh, do you think he he may be inclined to go back to the to Roy Miller at left back? Maybe Zarek Valentino right back rather than Vitas and Powell? Or do you think he sticks with the same personnel? I think he's going to stick with the same personnel. I, I think it's worked really well for them the last two games. And, and obviously the difference in the fullbacks did not work on the road in San Jose in the game before. I, I think he's starting to solidify a black back four. And, and as long as it's working, I think he'll stick with it. Because I, I, I think as we discussed uh, last week or the week before on the podcast, I think having a consistent back four is important. And especially in this playoff run, I, I don't think Porter is going to be looking to make a ton of changes there. I think if he can, if Powell continues to perform well, if Vitas continues to perform well, I think he's going to stick with them. And I, I don't think uh, the game plan is necessarily going to change that. I think he's going to tr- probably go to solidify the same back four oh, game in and game out. So I don't expect to see a change there. I would be surprised. In fact, if we do, especially given the performance in the last two weeks. This is, to me, the hardest question uh, because this is going to be a very, very different game uh, from the, the the DC game, the the Vancouver game. Those were both games in which the Timbers were really, really sort of focused on imposing their will on the game. They wanted a lot of the ball. Uh, they wanted to control the game on the ball. And I just don't think that is a, a terribly pragmatic way to go about this first leg in Houston. And so, uh, so I... I don't disagree with what you're saying about Vitas and Powell and sort of playing the hot hand in, in, in those spots and, and, and recognizing that those guys have put to get put out pretty darn good uh, performances over the course of the last couple of weeks, uh, especially Alvis Powell looks like a different player. Granted, we've seen this from him uh, where he'll look like a different player for a couple of weeks and then regress into being, you know, same old Alvis. Uh, but you know, I mean, he, he has been very, very good and was very, very good against both the Whitecaps and DC United. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me 
if Porter is going to be a little bit more conservative, if the Timbers are going to be uh, are, are going to not push their fullbacks into the attack as much, if they're going to uh, keep them home a little bit more, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest uh, if it is going to be uh, Roy Miller and Zarek Valentin. Remember, Roy Miller uh, was the left back for that game, that 2-2 draw that the Timbers earned in Houston uh, over, over the course of the summer. Uh, and, and so, you know, it wouldn't shock me to see that. I think that that's a big question. I think that'll be sort of a quick telltale. Now, in addition to who he puts in, in, in instead of Guzman, a quick telltale when you see the lineup as to how the Timbers are going to be approaching this game. Uh, and, and, and we'll give you an idea uh, of what to expect from this team. Matt wants to know, how is the field in Houston? Is it possible to have a field in Texas where they don't prioritize high school football? Uh, I don't know the answer to the, to the second part of that question uh, because – they love high school football in, in, in Texas, and they, they use their MLS stadia for uh, high school football games all the time. The field in Houston is not great. Uh, I, I think anybody who watched the SKC Houston game uh, saw that. Uh, it is, you know, fill, fill your divots, kids. Uh, it, it is a very, very divoted. Not quite like, you know, uh, DC United RFK Stadium divoted, uh, but, you know, pretty appreciably divoted. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's not great. How do you think that affects the game going in? Do you, do you think that would be a factor? And maybe the Timbers saying, we just don't know if this field quite sets up, uh, to be a game in which we're trying to control possession, which we're trying to string together 500 passes. Uh, do you think that, that that's a factor that, that Porter takes into account? I, I, I don't know if it's going to necessarily change his approach, but I, I think it's something that they will at least be looking out for. I, my guess is they are do a walkthrough obviously before the game. So, um, and probably they did one today. Um, so I I think it is a factor. I I think it's something they need to account for. I I think when you look at that San Jose game just a few weeks ago, that there was a lot of issues with that field. And and I I think the Timbers didn't play well overall, but they had a lot of trouble just slipping and sliding and having, uh, patches of grass come out because that field was not very good. Uh, out of Aya. So I think it has been an issue for the Timbers in the past and something they should be uh, aware of going to this game, seeing how bad it was uh, for the Kansas City match on Thursday. But I don't know if it'll in any meaningful way change Porter's approach to the game. Yeah, that's that's my guess as well. Just a sort of another footnote to this discussion. Anybody who wants to revisit the Providence Park should they play uh, on grass, even though Portland State football uh, still plays there? Well, here you go. This is this is what it would look like. Uh, and I and I frankly, I would take the timber surface every single day of the week uh, over what you know Houston has uh, late in the season after they get high school uh, after they get football games being played uh, at BBVA Compass Stadium. Uh, a couple of sort of miscellaneous timbers questions before we get our predictions in. Uh, Joey and Michael, they want to know. Which Timbers, who once looked certain, that they, I'm, I'm sort of amalgamating two questions, I, I should say. Uh, so they're not exactly what they're, they, they're at what both got at, but not necessarily the, the exact question. Uh, which Timbers, who once looked certain to be on their way out in the winter, do you think now may stay? And I'm going to draw particular attention to three, uh, because I, th- I think Michael asks, asked specifically, uh, about Liam Ridgewell, so that's one. Alvis Powell is two, and Darren Maddox is three, and then anybody else you want to add to that, uh, feel free to address as well. Well, those, I think, were the three that I was going to go with. Um, I think Alvis... Good work, Jamie Goldberg. We're, yeah. you, you, Joey, you and Joey and Michael are like all on the same page. I mean, I think they're, those are the, the obvious three. I'm trying to think 
quickly on the top of my head if there's others. Um, I, I think with Alvis Powell, I, I think he still has his playoffs to prove himself, but but I think the more he does well, the the better showing he has, the more the Timbers will consider, um, especially since his salary cap hit uh, is not what other players are. Um, maybe bringing him back, but I, I think he still has more to prove, but is going in the right direction right now. I think Maddox has done really well. I think that's going to be more of a question at this point on the on the salary cap hit. Um, I'm still skeptical that they'll bring Liam Ridgewell back. He has looked, he has done well. He has looked good in these games. He could be a huge part of the Timbers playoff run, but he missed 19 games for injury this year. And I think while the Timbers right now would um, might be looking at this saying, yeah, he's doing great, really enjoying the performance he's having right now. I, I think when they take a step back and consider just how problematic those injury problems were this year, I'm just still very skeptical that they'll want to bring him back. But I, I think those are the obvious three that that I think we've been talking about. Oh, they're going to be gone. Where now you you have to wonder a little bit more. I, I completely agree uh, about Ridgewell. I, I mean, look, you can't pay a guy sort of TAM level money to come in and play 16 games next year to come in and play, you know, 15 games next year, however many uh, here to put in. And frankly, is there any rational reason to think that he's going to play, you know, 28, 30 games, uh, you know, which isn't even like a perfect season by any means, but is there any rational reason to, th- to think that's a likelihood uh, that he would be able to come in and, and, and start uh, full time for the, for the Timbers next season? I just don't think so. And I don't, you know, I, they will certainly, I I'm sure have the conversation, of maybe bringing him down to a bit less money to make it more justifiable uh, in among the rest of the salary cap structure. Uh, and, and if they can do that, they should. Because look, as we've seen over the last several weeks since he's been back, and frankly, as we've seen for most of his time in Portland here, Liam Riddle's good when he plays. Uh, he is, he's a guy that you want at center back. I, I mean, you know, there are always arguments to be made about this, but if you did a, a an MLS-wide survey of sort of informed center backs and you finished that and told me, yeah, Liam Ridgewell is a top 10 center back in MLS, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, I, I think he is very he is quite good when he's on the field. But that when he he's on the field qualifier is, I mean, just at this point, prohibitive for sort of a TAM-level player. Uh, and so I, I think you're on the money about Ridgewell. Powell, for me, is the guy that has the most to prove, the most to earn in this offseason because I agree with you. In light of his cap hit, in light of all that, if he can put together a good, consistent, and I emphasize the word consistent, offseason, I, I think Alvis would be, I mean, look, when when he's playing the way he has over the course of the last couple of weeks, he is a no question about it starting right back in MLS. Uh, when he's not, he is no question about it not he's starting right back uh, in MLS. And, and, and granted, I, I think he gets probably more than his share of the blame, even in those periods in which he's uh, he, he's poor. He, when, when he is poor, he's just not up to snuff. And so this is he is the guy that I think probably has the most to gain in showing that he can consistently be uh, be sort of that can, that right back uh, that is startable on a consistent basis. And given his relatively modest cap hit, uh, it makes sense for the Timbers to take that risk if there's a reasonable basis to take it. Uh, Maddox for me is is a huge question that frankly has more to do. Look, the Timbers like them, like Darren Maddox, right? Caleb Porter likes Darren Maddox. Uh, and that is, you know, if you're going to worry about that, that's just going to, you're just going to tie yourself in knots. Uh, he just does. The question for me about the Timbers is whether they have, uh, you know, a, 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 an, 
a plan to develop Jeremy Abobasi because I, I do think from what I've seen of Abobasi uh, that he is a very uh, legitimate, a very serious MLS prospect. And look, if the Timbers don't have 800 or 1,000 minutes to give to Jeremy Abobasi next year, trade him. Let somebody else do it because somebody else will have 800 or 1,000 minutes to give to Abobasi at least. Uh, and, and, and at this point, if, if you're not going to sort of go into a season with the plan to be to give him that time, with the plan to be to give him, uh, to put that trust in him, uh, then I, I don't think, I don't think it makes sense for the Timbers to hold on to him as an asset because I do think he's a real asset. So we'll see about Maddox. Uh, but you know, I, Powell, I think is the biggest riser Ridgewell. I think it really just has nothing to do with his form. If they can't buy him down, uh, then I don't expect him to be back. Sean. With Laris Mabiala looking good, is a Mabiala or Arroyo center back pair for 2018 possible? I, I, I think that it's still unlikely. Um, I think given that Arroyo came in originally um, in 2016, immediately got injured, then didn't end up. I, I think made one appearance that year, um, and then came back for preseason this year and, and suffered a season ending injury is going to be coming off a really bad. I, we, we saw with Nat Borchers, Achilles injuries uh, are, are very difficult to recover from and, and come back to the same level you were. It's not a, it's not a good injury. Um, and so I, I think the questions about what it's going to mean in terms of what he looks like when he comes back um, add to that as well. I'm just not sure the Timbers are going to bring him back at this point. And, and yes, if, they decide if they can't buy Ridgewell down and, and they decide to go a different direction, they, they're going to need to bring in another starting center back. But I, I'm just not sure at this point if they, they want to rely on it potentially being Arakoyo. I think that is definitely the smart money. Uh, if I were to put, uh, you know, uh, if I were to peg the, pro- the probabilities, it would be that Arakoyo is not with the Timbers next season and, and both sides just sort of go their respective ways as a, as a deal that just didn't work out. I think the one way that I can see it happening is if the Timbers uh, and, and Arroyo agree to, I mean, sort of like Ridwell, uh, agree to Arroyo coming back for, for considerably less money. He, he was a guy that frankly was on a, a fair amount of money because he was a pretty well resume young center back. Uh, and so he, he cost a little bit of money. Uh, but it would, if, if he and the Timbers come to an agreement and say, look, Hey, you've been out of this for basically a year and a half. Nobody else wants you. We're happy to, to bring you in now that you're, you're starting to come back off that Achilles injury. We're happy to bring you in for 175 grand next year. Will you do it? I, I, I kind of doubt he would say yes, because I would think he would seek that opportunity somewhere else, probably somewhere closer to home. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me if he said yes. And, and if he was amenable to something like that. Uh, given his resume, I, I think it might be be worth the Timbers taking uh, that flyer a little bit. So uh, we'll see. Uh, and then, you know, he would certainly be a guy that coming into camp uh, could earn the job. But do I think that's probable? Nah. Okay. Speaking of probabilities, it's time to make some predictions. Uh, Timbers Dynamo. Leg one. Again, that is Monday. That's 6.30 p.m. Uh, you can find it on Fox Sports 1. Jamie Goldberg, what is going to happen in this game? I think it's going to be a little bit more on the high scoring just because both these teams have scored a bunch of goals this year. I think it's going to be a 2-2 draw, which is going to be a good result uh, for the Timbers heading back. And I think Darren Maddox is going to get another goal. I'm going to go draw as well, which uh, which you know I agree would be a, a perfectly fine, uh, even good result for the Timbers. 
Uh, but I think it's going to be 1-1. I think the Timbers are going to be a little bit more conservative in this one, as, as I've talked about. And I think Sebastian Blanco is going to be the one that gets the goal from distance. All right, a little bit of a short episode tonight just because, well, I guess we were basically Timbers Dynamo-centric. Uh, but nonetheless, that's all. That's all we have. Uh, Jamie Goldberg is in Houston, which means it's like it's pushing her bedtime uh, by this point. Uh, I'm going to go watch the rest of the Vancouver-Seattle game so you guys can make fun of me about bad predictions about that series as we go. Uh, but yeah, thank you for tuning in. Thanks, of course, for your questions. As always, we love them, uh, and, and they certainly help sort of uh, give structure to the show. So always appreciate those uh, as well as you tuning in. Enjoy the Timbers game, uh, the first leg of the conference semifinals against the Houston Dynamo, and we'll be back here sometime later, well, I guess what is now this week, to talk about that and look forward to the second leg. Until then, as always, take care.